0: You're listening to locally produced programming created in KUNV Studios on Public Radio, KUNV
1: 91.5. You're listening to special programming sponsored by Making Moves Life Coaching Services. The content of Veterans Affairs Plus does not reflect the views or opinions of Public Radio KUNV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education.
2: Good morning once again. This is Dave Washington with Veterans Affairs on 91.5 Jazz and More. Pleased to be back with you all this weekend, this Saturday, as we uh, know that Memorial Day is coming up. So I wanted to acknowledge a couple uh, soldiers who have transitioned. And these were dear friends of mine. In fact, I talked about uh, both of them last week. Uh, Larry Powell, he was a chief officer with Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. He served in the United States Army, recently transitioned. And I just want to say uh, to his family once again, we appreciate the work that he did while in this community. Larry also did a lot of traveling. He worked a lot with the Methodist uh, Church Organization, where he went around the world with FEMA to various disasters throughout our world. So once again, we hope that God is is pleased with the work that uh, Chief Uh, Larry Powell did while on this earth and then another friend of mine who's been gone for some time and Larry as well as Monroe Williams were my mentors with Las Vegas Fire and Rescue they helped to guide me through my career and ultimately as many know I I retired as fire chief but Monroe he retired as a captain and he was an outstanding individual who was a Navy man yeah Mun was in the Navy in fact he was a, a corpsman i believe it's called where he he was a medic and he took care of a lot of things on the department in fact he spent a lot of time training our guys on the department how to deal with medical situations so again we hope that god was pleased with monroe's service while here on this earth and then most recently cleveland thomas he was a a soldier And he passed just a few weeks ago, and Cleve did a lot of work. He was involved with a a number of organizations within the community. And I know that uh, there was something that people didn't like to see sometimes was me and Cleve coming because we were always having some tickets that we were trying to, uh, what we were doing was actually trying to sell tickets to raise money for some functional organization. So once again, just wanted to acknowledge those individuals as we uh, embark upon Memorial Day. Last week, also, I talked about uh, one my cousin Alicia, and I failed to to mention that. Yeah, I did say that she was going to attend the University of Nevada at Reno, but she's going to major in music education and participate in the pre dental program. Just wanted to make that clear to everyone, or share that I should say. And then Madison, Madison uh, Meadows, uh, she earned a bachelor's degree in fine arts in screen acting and a minor in creative cultural industries from dodge college of film and media arts at chapman university in orange county california then her big sister um, mackenzie i mentioned that she graduated at georgetown but her i did say she got a master's degree that master's degree is in management from again uh, mcdonald school of business at georgetown university in Washington, D.C., so congratulations to those three ladies, and we appreciate and know that you're going to do big things in our world. So once again, this is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. I'm Dave Washington, your host. We'll be back shortly. Good morning once again. This is Dave Washington with Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. I'm really, really excited. You guys have no idea I've had two great Super great guests, I I will call them, because this young lady is a colleague and friend. Uh, she's fire commissioner of the second largest fire department in our country. This is Fire Commissioner Chief Annette Nance Holt. What's up, Commissioner?
0: Hey Dave, how are you?
2: I'm doing well. I am so pleased that I finally got you. Ring up. You guys, this lady is very, very busy. Again, as I mentioned, second largest fire department in our country. Very, very busy. And, and again, we want to uh, acknowledge and give our condolences. That we know that you, and I, we did mention it a few weeks ago, that you lost a couple of firefighters. So may God continue to be with your sister. So, yeah, Thank you. Chief, how long have you been uh, with your department? I'm
0: um, in my 33rd year. Thirty third, And I've been with Chicago the whole time. Yeah.
2: 33rd. You know, that's when I left. When I got my 33, I had enough and I left. So were were you born and raised in Chicago?
0: Uh, Yes, I was born and raised in Chicago. Uh, My family started out on the west side of Chicago Mm. on uh, 19th to Christiana. Then they moved to the south side. Mm. So I still live on the south side today. Not far from where I grew up.
2: Oh, really? That's, that's, yeah, same
0: community.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I love community is so important when you're in these leadership roles, you know. You yeah. can't you can't yeah, yeah. run from from folks that you're serving. So give our listening audience this is a Veterans Affairs show, but people of all ages and ethnic groups do listen. Uh tell us about the, the different positions, if you would, that you've held over your thirty three years.
0: Sure, sure. So I came on in 1990. I started out as a firefighter, Mm -hmm. EMT, and then I went on to be a lieutenant with only two and a half years on the job, Mm. Uh, one of the first African-American women to be lieutenant, then on to be captain, battalion chief, uh, deputy district chief, and then the first woman to be the first deputy fire commissioner, and currently the first woman to serve as the fire commissioner. Well, Uh, a lot first.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you know, uh, to our listening audience, I had uh, the unfortunate, but it was fortunate that I got to visit her office. But we had two of her colleagues and friends to pass away, and I got an opportunity to to go to her office. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, I was fire chief in the city of Las Vegas, but one of her divisions (laughs) is. as many people as, as I was leading I think we we have about 700 people when I was uh with Las Vegas Fire right at 700 and I know one of your divisions is uh is about that size and all one I could shift, do uh, one I, uh, shift in the city <laughs> is more than 700
0: it's 5000 on the Chicago Fire Department
2: yeah I, all I could do was chuckle I said man and she stays extremely busy but we uh, we appreciate the work that you you have done there um now you got a pretty good pretty good sized staff too.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. I got a nice ass staff. We could always use more, but in the field in total with field and administrative, we got 5,000.
2: 5,000. So you did attend EDI. In fact, when I met you, I believe you were a lieutenant, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Uh, I started EDI. Yep, that's correct. I started EDI as a lieutenant. I was a brand new lieutenant. And I came with one of my mentors, Nick Russell, and another one, Marco Bannon, and they were already, I want to say they were captains or chiefs at the time. So I followed them on faith because um, when I heard what Carl was doing, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, our department didn't pay for it. So we all came on faith and we paid our own way. And EDI, I mean, I just can't tell you how much it has grown me professionally, personally, um, and personally, as far as knowing people like Dave and other fire chiefs across the country and being able to pick up the phone and talk to them even before I got to this position. But, you know, to have somebody who understands what you're going through, I think that's kind of important because I know being a fire chief is a lonely job. I can tell you that people go, it can't be because you're always around people. Right. You are, but you're not always around the people that matter in your life, meaning your personal people, your friends, because you got to neglect them, you know, in your intimate family circle because you're always busy and always working. Mm -hmm. But of course, we love what we do. But I can't tell you, EDI, um, just going there and doing the five years straight, it opened my eyes to a lot of things that Chicago wasn't doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and it gave me some insight into things that needed to be done in Chicago. And actually, had I not gone to EDI, I don't think I would be the fire commissioner. I just wish Carl was here to see it, because he would be so happy, because at one time, Carl Holmes, who founded EDI, he applied to be the fire commissioner in Chicago. That's right. And of course, he didn't get it, right. but I got it for him. So I stand on the shoulder of giants.
2: No doubt. You know, and I, and I always tell people, actually, Chief Holmes was one of the one of the founders. He was... but. The reason why he gets so much credit and I and I share this all the time, he took money out of his personal family account to keep this yeah. organiza- keep the organization of the Carl Holmes Executive Development Institute afloat. Because otherwise it would've as they say, died on the vine. Now, yeah, one yeah. thing one thing that I know about you, you're you're you are a hard charging person and I say this from the experience of working with this young lady uh, to our listening audience She runs the administration side of our our institute, which is the most critical part, if you will. So tell us a little bit about that experience, because you are so grounded. And and I've watched, see, because I've seen how you change things. I mean, when there would be lines around the building for people registering now, it's like clockwork. Yeah. Because of you and your staff.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say, the main part of this is what you said, staff. All of us working together came up with solutions to actually fix some of the clog or backup that we had in, in registration before we got there. Because we were actually some of those people that waited in those lines back in the day <laughs> when they did it. And we didn't like it. So That's right. I'm kind of like a customer service person. I like to see things moving smoothly. And that might be from growing up working in my father's store. Mm. I always hate lines. So, uh, yeah, we work together to make the transition a lot smoother for people attending EDI, you know, and then making people feel like they want to come back. Because if you got to wait, a lot of people go like, why do I want to wait? Even though it's really important to be there and the information and the knowledge that you gain Mm -hmm. will change you forever. I mean, forever change you. Um, We still don't want people to experience that
2: absolutely and i can tell you i agree with you 110 percent had i not gone to edi when i went i was battalion chief over training i would not have never made deputy and or fire chief had i not gone there because the interaction with that you are able to have on uh during classroom time as well as after hours with with chief officers and fire chiefs and uh fire uh commissioners from around the country we talk about uh uh, George uh, Sherman George, I, I learned so much from that brother. In fact, I had never heard of a a vitae. You know, it's like your resume, but it's it's just a different structure. That vitae that he sh- <laughs> I took from him, and I also took from um, what's her name out of uh, Berkeley. Uh, oh,
0: Deborah Pryor.
2: Deborah Pryor. I took what they had, and I and I kind of molded it into my own, and that helped mm-hmm. me with. Tremendous success to include Herschel Clady and Monroe Williams, who was my mentor here locally. They they showed me both showed me this three ring binder, and Herschel had now Herschel you know our Herschel was so cool Herschel had his his picture on on, on here. I said I ain't putting my picture on there, but all hmm. your your certificates, uh, letters of endorsement, et cetera, et cetera. You put that in that binder and you take it in, and and they were they were looking at me like we don't know if we're supposed to accept this. <laughs> and, but mm-hmm. then then one person on, on the interview panel say, nobody told us we couldn't, so we'll take that young man and we'll look at it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and look where you landed there. Yes, yeah. yes. But again, back back to EDI. And again, you've done tremendous work in, in, in ironing out what we're doing as an organization. So uh, I, I want you to just kind of take a, a, a minute or so and, and kind of Give some some further information on that institute and what what it's all about.
0: Yeah. So EDI is um, it's a five year module. Each year you come to. Well, we're at Dillard University, HBCU in New Orleans. And uh, you come every year. The first year is my one and you progress all the way up to my five. And each year it adds on more knowledge about not being a firefighter or being an officer, but actually trying to make you encourage you to be a fire chief or a fire commissioner to run a department or to take some leadership role within your department. And by the time you get to mile five, you actually have a graduation where you actually graduate with the keynote speaker and everything. And it's a culmination of everything that you learn. And uh, I tell you, uh, for the price that people pay to come to EDI, it's worth its weight in gold. And it proves even after you graduate and you get that position, you still can use a lot of the things that you learn or have personal access to some of these people that you have been with your instructors. Like the first year I teach too as well. That's right. Excuse me. And I teach a couple classes. I've had young ladies and men call me from the times that I taught, I gave them my personal number. Mm -hmm. I've helped someone actually pass an assessment center in another place, Little Rock. Mm-hmm. He actually landed real well on the captain's test right. just by me talking him through some assessment center stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have access to us. So it's like invaluable. It's the things that we should be doing to help each other, you know, climb the ladder and get to the top.
2: Absolutely. Well, we certainly appreciate that. And I failed to mention that again, she is a, an officer with our organization. We have a, our structure is, uh, directors, and then we have officers who actually do the day-to-day operations, and she is really the lead of that group. I'm the president and CEO, but everything goes through through the fire commissioner and her staff, and they really uh, do a phenomenal job in terms of uh, uh, administering all that we have, and, and we miss uh, your colleague and my colleague, Ron who really was yeah, the well, brain right. he was a brain thrust of of our administrative staff and particularly for our website so thank you uh fire commissioner Annette nance Hope we appreciate you and I look forward to seeing you God God's if God willing. is willing to see you in New Orleans this uh
0: yep. this June We got a little bit of time, a couple weeks and we'll be there yep I'm looking forward to get my batteries recharged
2: and my brothers and sisters All right thank you Annette appreciate you so much
0: uh, Thank you for having me. Take
2: care. All right. Bye-bye. Once again, this is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. I'm Dave Washington, your host. We'll be back on the other side. Once again, Las Vegas, good morning. This is Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5 Jazz and More. I am pleased to get our next guest in the house. It's uh, our state senator, Dina Neal. How you doing, Senator?
1: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm doing just fine now that I got you on the air. Been trying to get <laughs> you for a while. I know you're a busy lady. So uh, how's the session going?
1: It's actually going um, fairly okay. I mean, there's been less drama. So we've managed to move a lot of good policy. Um, we're in the last, I believe, 19 days of session. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the big policy is being vetted now. We just heard the film tax credit bill. Um, Then there is the fentanyl bill that attorney general is moving. Um, There's been huge education policy changes um, this session. And so it's, it's been an interesting session.
2: So in in your opinion, uh, going back to the film, how is that going? And give us a little bit of uh, depth on that, if you would.
1: So um, it's, the film bill is sponsored by Senator Roberta Lang and C.H. Miller. Um, and basically it's going to create two studios in the southern part of the state, hmm. one in Summerlin. So it's, and one, one owned by the Bercher group and one owned by Sony. The bill is still um, in flux in terms of being amended because it has, um, a sizable amount of tax credits and so tax credits although it's seen as negative revenue to the state because it's money that we won't receive and so um, C.H. Miller is working on trying to create um, um, a third option in the bill to create more independent opportunities for independent filmmakers independent independent uh, producers and so he's working on that um, And there was also in the hearing a conversation about um, what the local workforce would look like Mm -hmm. in terms of the career pathways for the bill. UNLV would get a media campus, um, which would allow the film school to directly benefit. Um, So there's some positive things in the bill. Um, It's a game changer. We just need to get the the money right.
2: Right, right. Well, you know, (laughs) our studio, the studio that I work at is in the – Hank Greenspan uh, journalism business, building, I should say. Uh, so it's interesting, and and it's it's good that uh, hopefully it can get worked out. Because and 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 a, and a key for me as a longtime citizen of this uh, community, I'm always about what is it going to do for the local uh, people who are looking for work in that industry or or what have you. And, and see, I still got a bitter taste in my mouth for for the uh, Allegiant Stadium. I'm still trying to find out what the numbers were in terms of a uh, ethnic and gender breakdown, but no one seems to want to give me the numbers. I just like to know I think, that, not me personally, but I think our community should know. Now, the, the next one you say of major activity is education. Give us a little bit on that.
1: So for the education, um, there has been a lot of movement around oversight and accountability, oversight of the superintendent, um, trying to deal with public comment and how public comment is handled to make sure that citizens are heard and they don't allow um, agenda items to be moved, you know, late at night where uh, (laughs) constituencies can't come in and, and, and speak on an issue. There's also evaluation of administrators, teachers. Mm. Um, There is a movement to try to, uh, make sure that um, there's a knowledge standard for the superintendent and area superintendent. Mm-hmm. And also um, there was a restorative justice bill by Assemblywoman woman, uh, Angie Taylor. She's up North mm-hmm. to change progressive discipline policy.
2: Hmm. So is there, there's no legislation pending. I know that they've talked many different times about, uh, dividing the our big, uh, what are we probably in the top five districts in our country? No. <laughs> you, say, you say no. As, as an educator, what are, what are your thoughts on, you know, the whole history issue that, that kind of permeates the whole country, you know, people don't want to talk about certain things. It's either true or true history or it's not. I mean, I just have a, it's it's crazy that 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 we can't talk about things. I mean, some people's gonna feelings are gonna be hurt, but I don't think it to the to the to the detriment of anyone. You know,
1: um, I think I think that um, what's going on in Florida, right? I think mm-hmm. is I think we need to be worried about the spread. I think we need to be worried about the current uh, current agenda, mm-hmm. um, which is to. Um, lose all critical thought whatsoever um, lose information on identity, and I think that there is an there is a direct attempt to um sabotage pretty much the educational condition and it seems to be only focused on communities of color
2: mm, interesting
1: and then perpetuating um an agenda that only allows for a one narrative about history Mm -hmm. to be presented. And we've already, we've already been here, right? We were, we were here when uh, WB Du Bois was around in 1920. And I mean, so it's not like we haven't had this fight before. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're bringing it back. I mean, Mm -hmm. we spent almost a hundred years trying to get our history into the actual books.
2: Right. And right. so
1: to to reverse that, I think there's a new generation of children that I don't think they're going to stand for it. And it's interesting because I wonder why the federal government hasn't stepped in because a lot of this is discriminatory practices, mm-hmm. right? You're limiting right. the educational access
2: mm-hmm.
1: of students. Right. This isn't local content. This isn't locally driven. Right. You, the, the acts have been to eliminate whole society groups, activities out of history. And I guess maybe it's, maybe it's their way to play back, you know, the removal of the statutes, right? right? The statues that they, everybody uh, was fighting over. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it seems like they're doing it, but they're doing it through textbook.
2: Mm-hmm. So, Your dad, what do you think he'd be doing these days? And he he did a tremendous job. And one thing I learned from you, not to cut you off, Senator, but I learned from your dad that some people think that it's all about passing bills, but it's also gutting and cutting and getting rid of bad bills. And I'm like, wow, I never thought about that. This is true. Uh,
1: We're we're not faced with any of those bills here in the state Mm -hmm. of Nevada. I mean, because they would have already been dead. (laughs) And so – um and there were if there were any bills that were contrary to um or that were aligned, they never got a hearing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so I think this particular you know in the state of Nevada we're pretty clear in the legislature about what we believe is important policy, but mm-hmm. I think my dad would be actively advocating and trying to figure out how to you know add on to the national movement around mm-hmm. um Preventing this kind of behavior because we should all be alarmed because it's a playbook.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, when are you guys? I know you mentioned it, but it just slipped my mind. When are you guys scheduled to finish up? June 6th. June 6th, okay. Uh, Well,
1: really, June 5th, but I'm just counting as June 6th (laughs) because. I'm gonna be here until midnight. So right, right. June fifth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Look, uh, is there uh, anything you'd like to share with regards to the Windsor Park matter? Is that still in the works? Or is it-, it
1: is still in the works. We had a hearing on in Senate Finance on Friday um, to get roughly thirty-seven million dollars to help those families. There is a provision in there that where the city would have to pay back the state a portion of the $12 million. Mm-hmm. And then also it includes, um, well, it's about the relocation um, um, and just trying to make sure that everything that should be covered in terms of taxes, insurance, mm-hmm. um, restitution payments, rehab payments that mm-hmm. I included in the bill. So I feel, feel pretty good that we're going to be able to get the money out. The mm-hmm. next action would be identifying uh, 20 acres right? Um, in order to move the families. So, and so I'm working on that, so trying y- to identify the area.
2: So you're talking about moving to an area and they would build some houses for those families to move to, basically.
1: Correct. The last 90, so the last 90 original residents.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so... Yes, that's the plan. Okay. And so for your viewers that are not familiar, so Windsor Park is like a long-standing community that had subsidence where their homes have been sinking since 1989. Mm-hmm. And then some were moved and then some remained um, there because they were going, planning on fighting to mm-hmm. make sure that they were going to not get inferior homes. Right. And so... Um, we learned that there were the, some of the homes that were built, the 45 homes that were built, which are called Baby Windsor, mm-hmm. were inferior homes. And right. that's why the last 90 didn't leave. Mm-hmm. And so we've also found out that um, new homes have been purchased by Latino families um, who now own these homes and they have cracks and the back walls are sinking. And oh, wow. so it's going to be a wholesale remedy mm-hmm. um, to allow them to get a new mortgage on a new property Right. and also um, the original residents to get a, a restitution of a new home.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. we appreciate your uh, your work and continue the great work that you're doing, young lady. And uh, we wish you Godspeed and, and hopefully you guys will get out on time. So thank you so much. We have Senator Dina Neal representing District hey. 4, is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's District 4.
2: All right. Thank you, Senator. Take care.
1: Thank you. All Good right.
2: Bye bye. Veterans Affairs Plus on 91.5. Jazz and more.